we found that place on Zillow, which is not our primary target to look on pretty much at all. We're big and off market. Um, we look on all the weird listing websites because a lot of times when these places sell, they don't list them publicly on Zillow. And so it was certainly unique for us trying to find that space in the market ever since the unique days, I guess, blew up or went public. Um, I'm just thinking of Live Oak Lakes right now. They drove the prices up for every sort of unique stay 10x. It's just crazy. And so property owners are now knowing if they have something more unique than a single family home, they know people are going to pay for it. And so they jack up the prices, which makes it really hard for people like us and other people looking to buy. Institutions obviously have more availability to capital than smaller shops do. Um, so it makes it, it makes it a bit harder for sure. Um, but there are still opportunities out there. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs, boutique hotels, and hospitality brands, and the hosts, operators, and entrepreneurs who have brought them to life. Every Tuesday and Friday, you'll meet the military veterans, the retired flight attendants, tech entrepreneurs, the school teachers, the single moms, and the real estate investors who are all, in their own unique ways, shaping the future of travel and hospitality. Discover how these visionaries from all over the world have built chic cabins in the mountains, designed bohemian bungalows on the beach, erected eclectic off-grid and nature-immersed escapes, and so much more. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, the internet's best destination for last-minute Airbnb deals. You can subscribe for free at Spontaneous.com. And I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz, co-founder and CEO of Spontaneous. All right, friends, enjoy the show. So I met up with a few buddies a couple weeks ago for happy hour, and we started talking about buying Airbnbs. Now, my friends are smart, savvy dudes in their late 20s and early 30s, and we all love discussing ways to diversify our investments, but few of us are interested in investing in real estate like our parents did. The whole like traditional single-family home thing seems, seems kind of boring to us, but we all admitted that owning a vacation home, or perhaps even a few vacation homes, was something that each of us was really interested in, something that we, that we all desire. Now, in my my friend group, I'm the resident short-term rental expert since I host this podcast. So naturally, the conversation morphed into a discussion, and we were talking about whether Airbnbs were actually worth the investment, what people do about property management, how investors in this space think about design and amenities of these homes, uh, etc. And and that's when it happened. One of my buddies remarked, "I just wish there was a way to you know try out the whole Airbnb ownership thing before actually pouring my life savings into a bungalow in Joshua Tree." His comment was truly serendipitous since I had literally just been acquainted with a new startup in the space called Summer, who helps investors do just that. And yes, you guessed it, folks. I reached out to Summer, and they were gracious enough to become a behind-the-stays partner. So I want to tell you a little bit more about their gradual ownership model. And I'm going to do so in just about 10 to 15 minutes from now. And I want to talk to you a little bit about why it's the smartest way to own a vacation home, especially if this is like your first vacation rental home. But first, Here's a quick teaser. When you partner with Summer, they help you find a vacation home that matches your criteria, and then they buy the home for you. Okay, so you pay a down payment for as little as 15%, and then get this, if after two years, you've realized that the vacation rental life just isn't for you, they will refund you your whole deposit, like 
No questions asked. Now, I really want those of you who've been listening to the show for a while but don't own any of your own Airbnbs, or those of you who might like to have another one to two STRs in your portfolio, I want you to follow the link in the show notes below and learn more about how Summer might be the right partner for you to help you grow your business or to help you get into the space for the first time. So more deets to come soon. Get excited, folks. But for now, onto the show. Oh, and by the way, you can access the link, the special link to learn all things about Summer in the show notes below. But for now, back to the episode. In just a moment, you'll meet Brett Dees, a 19-year-old entrepreneur who owns and operates unique state vacation rentals across the United States. While his high school buddies were scrolling through TikTok before school and playing video games afterwards, Brett was binging Bigger Pockets podcast to understand the world of real estate investing. After graduating from high school, Brett decided to try his hand at real estate investing and entrepreneurship before pursuing a college degree. And so far, well, that decision is paying off dividends. In this episode, you'll hear the story behind how Brett raised capital to both build new unique stays and also buy existing ones. In this conversation, Brett and I discuss what he's learned about assessing the value of a unique stay, why hospitality entrepreneurs might be better off buying a unique stay rather than building one from the ground up, the importance of building a consumer-facing brand to help consolidate a portfolio of differentiated stays, how he thinks about investing in 2024 and 2025, and so much more. All right, friends, without further ado, get ready to meet and be inspired by Brett. All right, Brett, we are live. Good, sir. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am good. Thank you. How are you? I'm excellent. Now that I'm talking to you, um, it's uh, I, I'm really, really excited for this conversation because we met on Twitter. I've seen your stuff pop up more and more in my feed, but I've never actually gotten the chance to to speak to you, at least uh, outside of DMs. So uh, I'm just excited for our conversation. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. So you do a lot of different things, um, and I we were just clarifying a couple of things offline to make sure that I figured out how everything works and, and the, you know, what you're working on and, and why you're working on it, et cetera. So I'm excited to, to talk to you about your approach to investing, why you got interested in unique stays. You guys do some building, you do some buying of, of, of unique stays. And, and, and I want to hear the story on all of that, but I, I want to first start with with your story, like how how did you even get into the space? Before we get into sort of the hideaways and, and the founding story, there, like what's what's Brett's story? Like where where does your journey here begin? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, I was always, I'm as you can probably tell, I'm relatively young. Um, so I knew about real estate back in high school. I listened to Bigger Pockets back in high school. I was a very weird kid um, from normal <laughs> standards. And I, it was always super fascinating to me. I knew like the world of fund management, it just always had appealed to me more than other things in life. Um, and so once I graduated high school, I got my broker's license because I figured that was the easiest way to get into real estate and yeah. real estate investing, my ultimate goal. And I still have my broker's license, but it wasn't really all that it was chalked up to be at the time. Uh, and so it kind of, I kind of went down this rabbit hole of looking, I looked at multifamily, like I, I feel like I did the classic that most people do. I went down multifamily, self-storage, all that kind of stuff. And it didn't really appeal to me. Yeah. Um, but then I found short-term rentals and I always knew Airbnbs were a thing. I'd stayed in them growing up. It was always a thing, but I never knew that was necessarily an asset class that you could invest in. Yeah. Uh, and 
take essentially everything I've been learning through all these podcasts and throughout high school and translate that into Airbnbs. It's kind of like once I put those two pieces together, it's a whole new world. Wow. And so that happened like a year and a half ago and it's just kind of been off to the races since then. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So, okay. Just a, just a year and a half ago. So I, I want to hear a little bit more about your, your interest in high school here. So you're, you're binging like bigger pockets while, you know, all of your other buddies are like just watching stupid, like YouTube videos. Like, were you, were you like, were your friends like, dude, what are you doing? Like, like how, how what did people think about you binging all of this, like quote unquote, like adult content? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, I wasn't a normal kid. I did archery in high school, so that's cool. Archery okay, okay. Was like an hour away, so I always had these really long drives. Huh. So I had to fill the time somewhere, and they always knew I was really interested in finance stuff. Like I did, I did some stock trading back in high school, and to them that was the voodoo magic. And <laughs> I didn't even want to explain what real estate investing was because that would have been too much, too much for them to comprehend, and harder for me to explain. Uh, um, so, but yeah, I mean. They, they didn't quite understand everything, so. Well, I mean, hey, that's, uh, you know, the the weird kind of kids, the kids that are, I feel like, like, there's, there was some saying a while ago that, like, you know, be nice to, like, the nerds because one day you'll be, like, working for them, right? Um, <laughs> and not that you're a nerd. You seem like a very, like, normal, cool dude. You just have awesome interests um, <laughs> and, and, quite frankly, more productive interests. But, uh, but, but I'm getting, I'm getting some of that vibe right now. Like you, uh, you're a fun guy. You're smart. You liked, you, did you read Tim Ferriss too? Like, are, are we like a four hour work week fan? Oh, we are not a four hour work. Oh, week fan. not a four hour work week. Oh man. I that's where you lost me. On my bookshelf, but I couldn't, I couldn't finish the book. You couldn't, couldn't finish it? it. I oh. couldn't finish it. Jeez. What, what about it? Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a big like Tim Ferriss, like disciple. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I never got on super on board with using VAs. Okay. I'm yeah. a big fan of do it yourself or it's never going to be done right. Um, so I also like working a lot more than four hours a week. So, (laughs) (laughs) so he kind of lost you there. Yeah. Yeah, Well, that makes sense, man. Um, so I, I want to hear a little bit about your, your journey into, into short-term rental investing, because one of the things that I, I have found to be true, especially for, you know, younger entrepreneurs, younger investors that have gotten into the space is maybe they, you know, made a little bit of money uh, and or just you know, poured the life savings into an Airbnb or something like that. But generally speaking, I found that younger audience, the younger audience is less interested in sort of like the traditional single family home investment that maybe their parents were interested in. And it sounds like, again, you kind of like walked down this path of like, you know, I feel like self storage was super trendy and hot on like Twitter a, a little while ago, you know, still is depending on who you talk to. Uh, and then and, and then, you know, you multifamily and, and whatnot. But then, but then you arrived at, at, at short-term rentals, which, which, you know, I like to consider more in the hospitality business than, than, than the real estate investment uh, business, obviously very, you know, related, but what was it about Airbnbs and, and, and STRs in particular that was, was so interesting to you? Was it really just the revenue per night that you could get compared to maybe a more traditional single family home investment, or, or was there sort of more to the, the actual asset and, and, and really sort of like the industry that was attractive to you? Yeah. Well, I would say it's both. Obviously the money on paper is always looking better than the typical single family home. Um, But for me, it was trying to blend the cookie cutter style financial models that 
I was taught all throughout, like listening to the podcast and stuff. And then the uniqueness of short-term rentals because mm. multifamily and self-storage, they're cool, but they're super boring because yeah. you can't build an A-frame in the middle of the woods in a multifamily <laughs> model. Like that's just not the way it works. And so for me, it was trying to blend that creativity and doing something cool that I could actually admit, oh, this is really cool yeah. and actually making money on it and the financial backside. Cause I'm, I'm interested in both. So yeah. I'm just trying to find something that blends the two. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the, the perfect place for you to be then. Brendan and Helen, I want to hear the story behind how you both first became acquainted with, with summer. How did you, how did you discover summer to, to begin with Brendan? So a very close friend of mine, we'll just call him Jay. He uh, had been working for several years in like the real estate startup businesses and market. And he had come to know uh, one or both of Summer's founders. Helen, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go first over to, to you here. When, when you first heard about Summer's like business model and, and how it all worked, what did you think about it? Had you guys considered a vacation home before? Was this was this your first vacation home? I think for us, um, we had always talked about it, thought about it. You know, we weren't necessarily set on the location where we were sort of dreaming big and, you know, always talking about where that would be. I think the thing with Summer was it was easier to make that a reality, right? Like they sort of laid out the steps on a timeline that was way faster than we ever thought could be possible to have that second ownership. And I think the incentive for us was really like the idea of taking advantage of the summer house now while our kids are still around and interested in being with us and hanging out with us rather than, you know, saving for retirement for that second home, dream home down the road. I'm curious, what was the process like actually finding and and ultimately uh, acquiring the home. Can you walk us through sort of how Summer helps facilitate that or helps kind of like hold your hand? So I think we really appreciated what Summer offered, which was first a realtor that could help vet homes in a way that was a bit more strategic. Like would this location be good for rental? Would it not? Thinking about those terms was really helpful to have. And would this home perform in a way that would be helpful for, you know, as an investment? So that was the first step. And the second step was just the acquiring process. They were really hands-on, really proactive in terms of putting in an offer, doing due diligence. Yeah, I would say not only that, but they like literally did the work, right? Like they had an inspector, then they had like specialists come and look at things and they did it all within a matter of days. And we were interested in what was happening, so they kept us informed. But honestly, like we didn't really have to do anything. If something doesn't check out or, you know, something isn't right about the model, like we'll figure it out in the next few years and we won't buy the house. One of the things that I know that they they help out with is the beyond the actual acquisition of the home is the, the design, kind of like the furnishing of the home, and then ultimately like the listing of the home on OTAs like like Airbnb. What what was the process of the of the you know redesign or or refurnishing? How how did that work? So we had a you know a designer who had great furniture sources and they had access to stuff that we didn't have. So I 
feel like I did get my dream house in terms of design and, and Summer was able to realize that. And it's not anything that we could have done on our own, especially living far away and having the time to, to source all the stuff. Well, one last question on that front. How, did, how does it work in terms of like the budgeting for that? Like does Summer say, hey, you know, our redesign, rehab, you know, uh, the furnishing budget is, is X and then you guys kind of play within that budget or like how, how do you guys determine how much is spent on on sort of getting the home ready for for guests so there is a fixed amount they set it um i forget exactly what it was but it was enough to fill the house and they definitely benefit from local sourcing and you know the fact that they have a number of properties in a certain area and things like that. Yeah, I think it was helpful too. Like I had an idea of one room doing like big, bold, bright colors, kind of like Miami style, which wasn't really like the look of the Hudson Valley. And so we had to sort of tone that down, but it made sense though from a, you know, Airbnb short-term rental perspective, like not everyone is gonna want something that crazy so that was actually really helpful <laughs> we could buy a house we could set it up as an airbnb we could list it on airbnb right they have access to scale and data that we don't that makes them a smart choice thank you both so much for your time this is great i'm so glad and excited for you guys that you've uh you're you know halfway through sort of this uh, beta test with your vacation home Sounds like you guys have already been able to make incredible memories there. It's very, very exciting. Uh, and for those tuning in, if you want to learn a little bit more about Summer and explore whether or not Summer might be a great option for you, you can find all the details to their website and more information on their product offerings in the show notes below. So you decide you want to go do this. Now, where where does the story of the Hideaways begin? The Hideaways is is, is the brand that you guys are, are are building that that sort of like wraps up uh, up your your portfolio right now. Where 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 does that story begin? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, I mean, I might get into this later, but we started off buying some of these small mom and pop businesses, um, hospitality businesses, so like a couple cabins here, a couple cabins there on the same property, and they were cool um, and model's great. It was working really well, but then we decided we kind of want to combine all of our efforts because we have them all across what I would call middle America. Okay. Um, so like Ohio, Kentucky, Arkansas, kind of east of the Mississippi, but not quite east coast. Yeah. Um, and so we decided to combine all of our efforts because we use the same processes and systems every time. And it's sort of tailoring the same experience for the guest. So it kind of just made sense that we'd lump it all together. And because some of our guests, when they would stay with us in Kentucky, didn't know that we had a place in Ohio, but it's yeah. a four hour drive away. Yeah. And it's a different experience, but still really cool. And if people are interested in our places in Kentucky, they'd most likely be interested in our places, other other places too. And so just trying to get that, combine that all together so that everybody can be aware of it was, was kind of the goal with the hideaways. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Great, great name, by the way. I, I love the brand. There's a lot you can do with it. Um, I, I feel like hideaway is, is one of those like very like relative terms that is also like very specific, if that makes any sort of sense. Meaning, mm -hmm. you know, a hideaway can be incredibly luxurious. It could be like it could be very like, you know, simple and, and rustic. Um, and, and it means it can mean different things to different people. Um, but but I feel like everyone has this you know, mental image, this mental picture of what, what, you know, it means to escape somewhere 
where where you where you feel like you're in, you're in your own like place, right? Your your own bubble. Um, and uh, I, I just think that there's a lot you can do with with the name from a branding perspective. So so kudos to you all there. Talk to us a little bit about like who's who's doing this with you. Like, did you just invest a bunch of your own capital in this? Have you raised money? Like, do you have business partners? Again, you're you're very young. Like, uh, how, how have you been able to finance uh, the business? Yeah. I mean, that's always a great question. Um, so I'll start with the highways as a whole. So it's me and two partners, okay. uh, Mike and Jordan. They're great. One of them is the property manager. One of them handles all of our marketing, social media, basically the brand. Yeah. Um, so it's the three of us and we have all of our properties. And as far as financing goes, it's always an interesting question trying to broach this topic because I am young. I don't have millions of dollars, not a trust fund kid. Unfortunately, I wish I was because that would make it a lot easier. Um, but uh, we start off raising money kind of like a syndication model. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's changed since then. And I don't I don't give out a ton of details on our current stuff because yeah. obviously – most investors out there know there are rules and what we can and cannot say. Yeah. Um, but we, we are investor funded um, for the majority of our properties. Obviously we, as me, Mike and Jordan, we put in a lot of our own money as well yeah. um, because it's makes sense <laughs> and the returns <laughs> are good. So we might as well take some of that too. Um, so, but yeah, and that's, that's how we really started too. It, it was an uphill battle. Uh, it was hard to, visualize seeing this property and getting the money for it. Yeah. Um, but then over time it's become easier and we kind of know what we're doing now because we've been doing this for a while. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean that it, it's, it's very impressive, especially, you know, one finding business partners in, in general is, is really difficult, let alone when you're, you know, when you're, when you're really young and, and, and just, you know, getting people to trust you and, and know that like, Hey, like these, you know, these, these young folks, they know what they're doing. Um, that that can be a lot to ask for 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 folks, um, you know, especially these days. So you guys clearly have uh, have some magic going on, um, and, and clearly it's not maybe not even magic. You just you just know what you're doing. So I, I want to hear I, one of the reasons I wanted you to come on the podcast was I, I think I saw some thread on Twitter um, uh, now X where you talked you were talking about the fact that you guys are are actually going out and like buying these like unique stays right mm -hmm. and over the last several years we've seen this just huge huge you know eruption of like unique stays in 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 uh the airbnb space right airbnb went so far as to totally recategorize you know their search experience right around unique stays and you know that's no accident or no sort of like flippant move it's because they have data that suggests this is what people want right and i've had a lot of people on this podcast that are building just truly truly remarkable stays and you know gorgeous gorgeous landscape hotels and it just just kind of like the next generation of hospitality entrepreneurs like yourself right but what we haven't talked a lot about is you know folks who are going and, and buying things that exist state unique states that have already been developed right and then and then you know making them more efficient uh you know adding to that 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 collection whatever it might be and i know that you guys are doing a a bit a bit of that uh right now and so i wanted to hear a little bit about like the current market right now like are there just like loads of uh you know today at this particular moment in time it's maybe a little bit scarier than than it was you know a year plus ago but like what what does like the landscape of like unique stays that are like available for purchase even like look like from from you know your your perspective right now? 
Yeah. I mean, it's ever evolving, always yeah. changing as real estate market does. Um, I'd say the most recent micro resort, as I would call it with unique stays that we bought, uh, was out in Kentucky. And those were three Nordic style A-frames that were built last year, two years ago. Um, and that was our most recent buy. We yeah. really love the building too. The building's honestly easier. Um, mm. But as far as the buying goes, it's it's interesting because we found that place on Zillow, which is not our primary target to look on pretty much at all. We're, yeah. we're big and off market. Um, we look on all the weird listing websites because a lot of times when these places sell, they don't list them publicly on Zillow. Yeah. Um, and so it was certainly unique for us trying to find that space in the market. Obviously, ever since the unique days, I guess, blew up or went public, um, I'm just thinking of Live Oak Lakes right now. They yeah. drove the prices up for every sort of unique stay. Yeah. 10X. It's just yeah. crazy. And so property owners are now knowing if they have something more unique than a single family home, they know people are going to pay for it. And so they jack up the prices, which makes it really hard for people like us and other people looking to buy institutions. Obviously have more availability to capital than smaller shops do. Um, yeah. So it makes it, it makes it a bit harder for sure. Um, but there are still opportunities out there and they're not always new ones too. Like I talk a lot about buying small mom and pop hospitality businesses. I think it's a great opportunity in the market. And a lot of these places aren't just the old cabins that you're thinking of. They've updated them and not necessarily cabins too. There can be some really interesting stuff that I've seen out there. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of, it's kind of fractured cause it's never listed on Zillow. It's very yeah. rare that you find one. Um, so What's finding like, the right places to look is hard. <laughs> so, so talk to us a little bit about your, I mean, you, I know you don't want to give away all of your magic sauce, but like, what, what did your research process like look like? Like if there's somebody who's listening, you know, right now and, and maybe they, they don't even want to go and, and acquire places in, in your specific uh, market, but like, they're like, they want to know, understand your like research process. Like where, where are you going? Like what, where, where are you looking to find, to find these days? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it starts with a lot of personal relationships for sure. Um, for one example, we are actively looking in the Northern Arkansas market and there's a broker out there. All she does is small B and B's. So mm. she's in, she's in touch with the crowd. Um, if that makes sense. And so she'll send us almost anything new or opportunities that she comes across that people might be looking to sell. Um, and we have quite a few brokers like that throughout the country because they know we are a buyer for this specific asset class. There yeah. aren't that many buyers out there right now because they yeah. don't have a big institutional appeal and younger people, it doesn't appeal to them. The lifestyle yeah. of running a small mom and pop doesn't appeal to them. So we found that niche in the market. And so the personal relationships are a big one. Um, for us, I'd say that's our biggest source, honestly, is those brokers who know that we're looking for this kind of stuff. And so they'll send it to us. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think what you guys are tapping into, and again, a big reason I wanted you to come on and, and share some of your, your story with us is that like you, you're the, the, people have been talking about this for a while, right? The fact that there are all these boomers that have these incredible like businesses, uh, you know, lots and especially kind of like more blue collar like businesses, right? And their kids don't want to take over the family business. Like they, they, they want to do anything but the family business, right? And mm -hmm. they're good businesses, right? Um, they need buyers, right? These, mm -hmm. these folks, you know, want some sort of like cash out and, and, and payout for what they've spent the last 40, 50, 60 years of their life doing, right? And in this, in our 
category of, of like hospitality, right? Like there are loads and loads and loads of folks that have these boutique mom and pop hospitality businesses. And there isn't an obvious buyer. Like the Marriott's of the world, like hotels are not going to buy them. Like even, even more like, you know, a professionalized short-term rental, you know, companies and, and whatnot are probably not going to pay attention to three cabins in Northern Arkansas, right? It, it probably won't make sense. And then a lot of the institutional capital that's flowing in is going into building, right? These truly unique one of a kind escapes. So you, I, you guys have identified this like, opportunity that I that I bet is bigger than some people think it is and and you don't have a lot of competition right now yeah yeah I mean competition's growing by the day uh, <laughs> for sure and I mean as everything is once once something picks up steam and a lot of people are now starting to recognize the opportunity it's obviously a harder to capitalize on than the traditional opportunities that you just talked about like building something crazy cool or institutions but uh but yeah currently it's working really well so yeah so talk to us a little bit about your 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 sort of like pitch to the to the owner or like like or even just from from a business standpoint right what what sort of additional value do you think you all will bring in in acquiring these properties bringing them under sort of like the hideaways brand uh, do you just see major opportunity to get more efficient do you see hey these folks aren't using any sort of technology and they're you know we're still using post-it notes and and excel sheets and there's there's we could just basically like increase our margin by 10 20 30 percent just by applying some basic infrastructure to these businesses like what is it about them that you guys see that helps you discern whether or not it's the right opportunity for for the business you guys are trying to build yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. And that takes me back to uh, something I saw on X or Twitter last night, because there are some big people out there always talking about buying these mom and pop businesses. The first person I think of is Cody Sanchez. Yeah. <laughs> and one of her tweets was like a seven step process. And it was buy, remove the fax machine, institute stuff, and then you'll profit. And it's yeah. not that simple. Trust yeah. me. It's really not, unfortunately. Yeah. Um so I think for us, as far well, I know for us, um, as far as our model goes on buying these businesses, where the improvement is, where we can extract the value, um, is multifaceted. One, it always has to be about location because that's yeah. the mantra in real estate: location, location, location. And oftentimes, these mom and pop businesses are in super prime locations because they've been operating for fifty plus years before these areas really blew up. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of mountain towns here in Colorado. There are some really, really great locations that these mom and pops are sitting on in these mountain towns because they built them before the town really blew up. Um, So location is always one part of it. A second part for us is oftentimes these mom and pops have a lot of land to build on. So I'm thinking back to one of our properties in Ohio. It was three small cabins in a super prime location, super beautiful area, Um, but it had eight totally unused acres of not, not crazy terrain, but hilly and wooded. It was super beautiful, but they weren't using it. There was Mm. nothing back there. It wasn't necessarily like walking trails, no structures back there or anything, but there was a beautiful Creek. And so we went in and we built some A-frames. We're going to build some more, we're building some walking trails. So really making use of unused space as well, especially when it's super beautiful out there because a lot of these vacation markets are beautiful 
That's why people yeah. vacation there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's reason for that. And then I'd say the third kind of facet we look at is the operations side. Um, yeah. Obviously people talk about fax machine businesses. You put in a computer instantly, you're going to make more, not necessarily true, but it is true to an extent. Um, a lot of these small mom and pops we buy aren't listed on any OTAs. Um, they're wow. on local websites. They have a high repeat guest percentage, which is amazing for us. Yeah. Um, but they're not listed on places like Airbnb and VRBO. Um, so the marketing is a huge one. You list it online and you're instantly going to get more views than you were before. And that's obviously a huge part, especially when trying to push your listing out there. Um, and then remote management helps as well. There are some small operational things like a lot of these mom pops live on site. We obviously, we don't live on site. I don't live there. I live in Denver. Um, and so instituting some remote management helps cut costs and maximize efficiency, but that's, that's not the biggest way of our business. It's definitely the maximizing the location and finding a great location. So I, I want to ask you about Instagram because one of the things that I'm seeing more and more of, especially with these more, you know, unique stays is folks are saying, Hey, here's, you know, what it costs. If you want to go, if you want to buy my collection of a frames, Oh, I also have 50,000 followers and this thriving Instagram account that brings in 20% plus direct bookings or, or whatever it is. And, and you're seeing sort of these like, brand assets get like roped into the deal of like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, you're not just buying these three a frames. You're also buying this, the following that these a frames have. Right. And it's very, very hard right now to like value that and understand how to value that. You can look at the percentage of direct bookings that might come from Instagram. Like there are some basic ways to, to, to value this, but it's still really, really hard. Have you guys come across any deal that includes something like the Instagram account or the Instagram handle? And like, how do you think about that? Or how, how, how would you value something like that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And we did, uh, our most recent buy in Kentucky had an Instagram account. It was like amazing. Okay. It was 2,200 followers. It wasn't anything crazy. Uh, but 2,200 followers is a good amount. It's a good amount. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for us, we treat it more as icing on the cake yeah. Um, because Instagram accounts, once you get down to the nitty gritty of social media, really easy to grow once you set a process and you obviously yeah. have to stay on it because the algorithms are always changing and adapting. Um, but sometimes we almost want to start from scratch because we don't yeah. want to have the old owner's brand um, yeah. because they're yeah. not all whatever the reason that may be, they're not always the best at social media. They don't run it the way we want them to. Um, we have a very different methodology than most other people do when it comes to social media and posting and stuff like that. Um, so as far as when it affects monetary means in a deal for us, it doesn't, we don't put an extra premium on a crazy Instagram account. Now something at a hundred thousand followers or a really significant number, we may look at it, but it's super hard to value. So we end up not, because that'll yeah. complicate the deal and anything that complicates the deal is not something we necessarily want to do. Is it, is it included in that, in the deal though? Like, yeah, you guys have yeah we, okay, did, it is. we did get access to that account. And yeah. so, but yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So how I, since you brought social media up and you guys have a very like specific approach, like what is, what are some like hot takes you have on like social in, in building a hospitality business? Like what do you guys do? That's a little bit different. 
Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think without giving away this, the secret sauce, as we would say. <laughs> uh, they may yell at me later, but I'll say it. Um, the biggest thing for us is giveaways. Giveaways yeah. are, I would call, the hack for social media right now. Yeah. We did one, I think it was two, three months ago, on that Instagram account for the cabins we bought in Kentucky. Yeah. And it was at 22 or 2,300 followers, and we gained 200 over a weekend. Wow. So yeah. 10% in a weekend, just yeah. for one giveaway. It had 600 shares on the post, something crazy. Um, really good numbers from my social media guy. I'm not huge in social media, so I don't know what really good numbers look like. Um, but for us, that was a growth hack. And then we've started implementing that in some of our other Instagram accounts, and we've seen the same results. They yeah. are amazing for boosting engagement. And there's easy ways to capitalize on the back end too, because you can offer like a 5% discount code to anybody who enters and yeah. send it to their email. Yeah. And then you can hopefully capture some bookings through there. Um, you get notice from social media content creators, which again are huge for social media. A lot of people debate the actual effectiveness of them. And I'm not going to say they're super effective or they're not, um, but they definitely do something over nothing. Yeah. Um so I think, I think giveaways are the secret sauce when it comes to running a social media for your short-term rental. Yeah. It's just the results speak for themselves. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I think that uh, folks listening to this pod would, would totally agree with you. I know that I agree with you. I, that's what I've seen is sort of like the biggest growth hack for people is being able to offer, you know, to a two night free stay or whatever it is, a weekend long stay. Um, I know people that have, you know, amassed huge followings and have, have wonderful businesses that still do like a quarterly giveaway because they, they believe it's just super, super valuable. If anything else in building audience, um, you know, and, and which is very important, especially if you're trying to build, your direct bookings. Um, and you know, social is one of, one of the ways, the best ways to, to obviously do that. I wanted to ask you about building versus buying. So you mentioned, you quickly mentioned a comment earlier saying that in some cases or often it's actually just easier to build, but knowing what, you know, having bought properties and also built them yourself, unique, unique stays. What, what are some pros and cons with how you think about whether for the next project you'll build or buy? Yeah, no, I mean, that's always a balance, something we go back to when we look at new places. Um, I would say just strictly pros and cons. Buying is not super easy nowadays because, like I said earlier, with the unique state properties, owners jack up their prices because they know people will pay them. Yeah. And so that ends up turning a really, what could be a really good deal into an impossible deal because the numbers just won't ever work. Yeah. Um, now, obviously the pro is that it's already an existing property. You take a lot yeah. less risk because the house is there instead yeah. of something that you're just conceptualizing. Cause yeah. obviously you can't rent out a, a place or building until it's finished building. Yeah. Um, so that'd be the biggest con for building is the risk involved. I wouldn't recommend it for somebody first starting out, um, or really anybody who doesn't have a significant reserve or they can survive if something goes wrong in the build process. Cause I mean, some of our builds have gone double budget. It's been crazy. Um, but the pros for building is obviously you can build whatever you want. Yeah. I think of my Pinterest right now, I have a ton of Pinterest boards and we have a ton of stuff in the, in the works and they look amazing and they're yeah. unlike anything else out there. So that'd be the biggest pro for building is you can just do whatever you want, whatever your, whatever your mind thinks of that is possible within the laws of physics, a builder can build for you Yeah, and it'll make probably a lot more money 
than just your typical Airbnb single family home. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest, and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form, and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. I want to go back to something you said earlier about um, when it comes to when it comes to sort of like buying these mom and pop shops and thinking about how to extract more more value, quite frankly, after, after purchase, are you guys doing like major renovations? Are you trying to keep, are you trying to kind of keep these assets sort of like as they are and just again, help make them more efficient? Like how often after buying a business, are you expect like, are you expecting to pour in gobs of money in, in, in like a reno process or, or is your approach to buying, Hey, we want to buy something that after the deal closes the next day, we can be, we can, you know, be happy to host people in the existing product that we just acquired, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, our process isn't super cookie cutter because it depends yeah. on the business that we buy. Every business yeah. is different. Um, but I would, if I had to say kind of our generalized methodology when going about buying these places, we, it's kind of like the buy then build, mm. um, strategy. So we'll buy something, for example, our place in Ohio had 12 acres. We bought the three cabins and then we built on those unused acres. That's yeah. a big part for us. So we'll always look to build some unique states, whether that's big A-frames or small A-frames or whatever that looks like, because it's not always A-frames. Um, <laughs> I know I talk about A-frames a lot, but not always A-frames. Um, so, but we always, we'll always add something to an existing property 99% of the time, that means building on another structure or unique structure with the unused land. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the renovations of the existing property, it's super market and location dependent because our plan for one of our properties was to go in, buy the cabins, build stuff on the back, and then renovate the cabins. Yeah, We've learned there's not a huge demand for the renovated cabins because mm. the guest clientele is different than... Mm, 99% of vacation markets, which is not what we had expected. It's mostly older folks coming just to have a weekend away and they don't want the technology. Yeah. They like the properties 20 years dated. Yeah, and yeah, we yeah, look at sure. that and that kind of defies logic for us because it's so against what everybody preaches in real estate. Yeah. <laughs> the first strategy and just renovate as soon as possible to get more money for us. That just didn't work. And mm. so when a lot of these middle America markets, as I would call them, the newer properties don't have the same demand as they would like in Florida yeah. or on the coast. 
So it's super, super location and property dependent. So we, but we don't always renovate the properties and do a super heavy overhaul because it's not what the guests want. Or, I mean, I mean, that, that's super interesting insight. And, and to an extent, as I think about it more, that, that does make sense. Uh, there is something about, you know, the grandma and grandpa who've gone to the same cabin for 20 years, not wanting that the TV to be different, right? Or not wanting that that rug to change or being totally okay with the flannel sheets or whatever it is, right? Like, um, and, and so, but, but furthermore, like the folks that would pay for that renovated cabin are pro and and pay more for it, right? Are probably the the same folks that would rather stay in like a unique build, right? Like yeah. the A frame. So if you're going to be paying, you know, 400, 500, whatever it is per night, you probably want to spend that on something a little bit more unique than just like an updated cabin in the woods, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it totally makes sense. And we've seen that, especially when you talk about the younger folk, typically it's younger folk who want to stay in the unique builds. We have yeah. the capacity for both on the same, I guess, micro resort as you can call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, which is brilliant. And actually, uh, my friend, uh, Nick Peach, who's from, um, index cabins. I'm actually wearing his hat right now, uh, out in, um, Washington about like an hour North of, of Seattle. That's what he's done with his property. So he has like, it's like an Instagram famous property called the tree frame. And then he also has like the sea containers, um, which are like, you know, his unique container home build. But then he's got like five sort of like more expected traditional cabins all on the same property. And like that has been, that has been hugely helpful for, for his business because especially when, you know, people are traveling with friends or, 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 or like a group, right. The, the tree frame costs, you know, 500, 600 bucks a night, whatever it is. Right. Um, not everyone wants to pay that, but you might want to hang out with your buddies and, or, or your friends. And so uh, one couple might book the $200 a night cabin and the other couple books the $500 a night cabin. Right. And then you can all kind of hang out in like the common area. And so I think, I think this model actually makes a lot of sense for folks, especially doing what you're doing, which is, Hey, there's eight, 10, 12 acres here. There are existing assets already. Let's buy the whole thing. Let's make, you know, some small changes to make sure the cabins can be a little bit more efficient, but then let's go build the unique stays. Like that, that really does seem like a, a fantastic model that, you know, more folks should, should look into and, and seriously consider rather than just buying, you know, a bare piece of land and, and building 12, you know, one of a kind stays having never done this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Especially when you talk about people just buying raw land to build. Yeah so much yeah. more risk than I think a lot of new entrepreneurs in the space realize Yeah, you, you put a lot of capital up at risk, whether it's all your own or you take out bank financing, it's a lot of risk because there's yeah. nothing there yet. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, a couple final questions for you, Brett, before we wrap one is just around opportunities. So like, as you're looking in, you know, the market right now, like where, where do you, where do you predict that there are, our opportunities, uh, you know, good deals, especially in this current environment, where, where are you guys looking? Like what are, where, what corners of, of, of the country are you paying attention to? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, around the Mississippi is a huge market for us. We kind of follow the population centers. Um, mm. so think Ohio, there's a couple major cities in Ohio, Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, um, 
same with Kentucky. For us, we're kind of just trying to be in the middle of a lot of major cities because a lot yeah. of people from those cities. Yeah. Um, we are starting to look out west a little bit, so closer to where I'm at in Colorado, Utah, Idaho, um, because more people are moving out here. Populations not necessarily expanding, but spreading out, so that makes it a little bit easy for us. Obviously, prices are high, so that makes it hard harder barrier to entry. But I think yeah. geography out here is a lot cooler than out west or out east, in my yeah. my own opinion. Um, yeah. <laughs> so obviously, wherever cool views are, people will always want to go. So just yeah. seeking out those cool views, wherever those may be, in kind of the the nooks and crannies of the United States. So. So with, uh, with the hideaways, like, do you guys have a specific goal of like, Hey, this, you know, we want to acquire X number of, of properties or, or, or X, you know, number of units, whatever it might be in, in 2024, do you guys have that, that number or is it still, is, are we in kind of like a, let's just wait and see. And, you know, hopefully by the summer things are looking a little bit better. Like how, what is your actual like buy strategy look like? in in 2024 yeah well currently we've locked up quite a bit of land um in some of our favorite markets that we're in currently so we're building a lot of unique stays on those and so as far as that goes just doing as much as we feasibly can since we're investor funded obviously if we don't have any more investors it's really hard to make the capital stretch yeah um so it kind of depends on that market as well because if anybody out there knows raising investor money is not the easiest right now um so we're kind of testing our abilities in that front. Um, but we don't necessarily have a specific unit count in mind for 2024. It's really just however many we can acquire while still operating at the way we want it to essentially. So, yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's exciting, man. And you guys are, so the hideaways is like a a relatively like new brand. You guys had things in in a couple of different places before, but now you're, now you're sort of developing this consumer facing brand that will that will house to, to to my understanding your your all's entire portfolio. What what was the decision? Why why come to that decision? And like, have you seen any benefit already from a branded collection versus sort of just having these assets as individual like separate brands? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been an interesting conversation for us um, because we ha- have these quote unquote micro resorts. Um, that have their own brand and we want to keep them that way. But then we also have these individual units that are not next to another unit that were kind of just stranded and orphaned out there. That was really hard to drive direct bookings to. Um, So starting the the hideaways brand has really helped those smaller units, those individual units um, gain a little bit of traction and help other people know about these properties if they stay at like one of our property, one of our micro resorts. Yeah. Um, so that's really helped. And it's also helped us from an organizational standpoint, because now instead of going out there and saying, well, I run all these things and start like on social media, say I do the American Heart Cabins and the Rock Haven Hideouts. It's just, I do the hideaways and yeah. they go to the hideaways <laughs> and they can see everything. Yeah. So a lot simpler and so much easier <laughs> for yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a wonderful strategy. One, just even for as as a, a strategy f- to attract investors and make it clearer to potential future investing uh, investor partners around how all these things are are related. But then also ultimately, what you can do too as you guys continue to grow is really figure out what is what is this brand for the consumer and how do we how do we want to organize our listings, our our, our units uh, within the context of this brand 
so that we can we can you know increase brand value and, and perception and, and obviously ultimately direct bookings through through this um, th- this brand. And I think that like there are so many cool people that are recognizing that finding a way to brand the collection is is so so important. There are also people that have recognized that it's incredibly difficult, which which it is to do well. But the the people that do do it well, I think, are the ones that. Um, that, 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 you know, ultimately win. And I, th- I think too, to, to kind of revisit an earlier conversation, I think Isaac French live Oak Lake is a really good example of this live Oak Lake had an exceptional brand and has an exceptional brand. And I think that that was fundamental. Obviously the units were great. Isaac's, you know, a machine and it, 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 the, the business was incredibly efficient, but ultimately it was the brand, you know, the brand carried an incredible amount of value and equity. And I think that entrepreneurs that are listening to this conversation that want to do similar things really need to make sure that they invest appropriately in the development of that brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, as you said, it is harder to build a brand than most people think <laughs> it is, it is way worth it in the end because young people use social media and they're always yeah. on it. It's people, people spend what, four hours a day on their phone or whatever that oh, is. At least, so at least. Yeah. If you, can, if you can pop up on their screen, odds are they'll remember you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's okay, man. Well, dude, this has been a great conversation. I uh, just want to encourage you guys to keep, keep on keeping on, man. You guys are very impressive. Uh, at, at, how old are you, Brett? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, yeah, currently I'm 19. Uh, I'll be 20 in April. Are you actually 19? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Are you in school or no? Uh, no, no, not in school. Don't go to school. Just do this. <laughs> oh, that's amazing, dude. Oh, that's very, very impressive. Well, I mean, as as a 19-year-old, you are making huge, huge strides already. This is this is very impressive. Congrats on on the success that you guys have already had. Uh, and and keep up the 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 wonderful work. If folks who are listening to this conversation want to go explore some of your properties, and or maybe there's somebody in listening to this conversation that is like, oh my gosh, a 19 year old is doing all this. Like, how do I invest? Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. So me personally, feel free just to look up Brett.D's on pretty much any social media. Um, last name spelled D E A S. In case anybody's curious. Um, and if they want to check out our properties uh, or kind of what we're doing as a brand, feel free to go to thehideaways.co. That is thehideaways.co. Uh, we have all of our properties on there. You can sign up for email lists on there. Pretty much anything you want to know about us will be on that website. So Awesome, man. And for our listeners, I'll link all of that in the show notes below. So just scroll on down. If you want to connect with Brett on any social channel, we'll have links to his social profiles there. And then also, of course, a link to The Hideaways. Dude, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Behind the Stays. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Feel free to shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, or find me on X, formerly Twitter, at ZBoozy, that's Z-B-O-O-Z-E-E, or on LinkedIn at Zach Cruz. If this is your first time tuning in, it's a pleasure to have you, and we hope to have you back again soon. 
If you've been a listener for a while, though, I'd greatly appreciate if you could subscribe and then leave us a rating and review of the show wherever you are currently streaming this podcast. Last but certainly not least, Spontaneous and Behind the Stays are totally bootstrapped, and my ability to bring you these stories is only possible because of our incredible advertising partners. We're very much a startup show, and while our growth rate is amazing, thanks to all you who keep tuning in and sharing our show with your friends and family, we haven't quote unquote made it yet. So if you could do me a huge favor and go and check out the sponsor for today's episode in the show notes below, I would greatly appreciate it. Even if their offering doesn't make sense for you right now, sending them a quick message on social or an email, just saying that you're listening to the show and you appreciate their support would be incredibly amazing. All right, friends, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you on the next episode of Behind the Stays.